Good morning, Westside Family Church. I am so excited to see you on this brisk Sunday morning. Uh, we are in a series called Unshakable, and we have been opening up the book of Acts to learn about the birth of the church and to learn from them how we can live out an unshakable faith uh, in the 21st century. Because we believe that what God did through them in the first century, he wants and needs to do through the 21st century through us. And so in our opening week, we looked at this unshakable mission that they received from Jesus. Then we looked the next week at their unshakable community, how tight they were as a community and how they were collectively on mission together. Then we looked at their unshakable boldness, how uh, the culture was coming up against them and yet they stood strong for Christ and learned from them how we need to do the same. And then last week we looked at their unshakable surrender, shifting from a life all about themselves to a life about the kingdom of God. And it was so inspiring seeing you wave your white flags of surrender to the Lord during worship. Some of you got into it a little bit more than others, yeah, including, oh, we got one down here today, uh, including uh, at our Speedway campus, uh, a wonderful young uh, lady got baptized and she wanted to express her unshakable surrender. Take a look at this. Oh, isn't that awesome? Way to go, Miss Vargas, on your unshakable surrender. Now, uh, let's open up again the book of Acts to where the resurrected Jesus meets with the first disciples in the upper room, and he gives them their unshakable mission and invites them to wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit, which will empower this movement. Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And listen to this. This is exactly what happened through these ordinary, unschooled followers of Jesus now that the Holy Spirit is in them. We are told at the opening of the book that they started in their hometown of Jerusalem. And then it spread from Jerusalem, as we look at the map, it spread from Jerusalem to the region of Judea and Samaria and into Galilee. And today, as we open up the book of Acts, we're seeing that the power of the Holy Spirit leads these followers of Jesus now to go into the region of Syria, which includes cities with inside it like Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And what I'd like to do is zero in on the urban city of Antioch to give us some idea of what was going on in this time. Now, there's a sociologist by the name of Rodney Stark, who is a personal favorite of mine. He just passed away a few months ago who did some serious research on life in Antioch. And it is an urban city, and like all urban cities, there are challenging issues. So we ask ourselves the question, as we put ourselves into the story today of the first century, what was it like to live in Antioch in the first century? I've got some principles for you, but I first want you to hold up your unshakable guide if you brought it with you. Anybody bring it? Good, good. All right, not too bad. Those are still available for you. Open up to unshakable, um, unshakable, uh, what are we talking about? 
reach, unshakable reach today, and look at how the church is now spreading out. Okay, so first of all, Antioch is super congested. If you're taking notes, write that down. Antioch is super congested. It is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was a walled city only one mile by two miles in length. One mile by two miles in length, okay? And the population of the city in the first century is estimated at 150,000 people. So the question is, how well does 150,000 people fit into a one mile by two mile walled in city? The short answer, not very well. As a matter of fact, as we look at modern cities today, Chicago has 29 inhabitants per acre. San Francisco has 23 inhabitants per acre. New York City has 37 inhabitants per acre overall. But Manhattan, it jumps all the way up to 100 inhabitants per acre. But they have the advantage of living vertically, right? I was in Manhattan a couple weeks ago. was on the 27th floor overlooking um, Central Park. That is nothing compared to the World Trade Center with 104 floors of vertical living. They didn't have that in Antioch, and they also did not have the burden of having livestock walking all around in the city. I was in Times Square. I saw no cows. I saw no pigs walking around. Now, truthfully, if you go to Calcutta, where Mother Teresa did her work, the population per acre is 122 people per acre, and then Bombay, a challenging place, has 183 people per acre. Now, drum roll, for Antioch, 195 people per acre. And this is a far cry from the atrium houses that were portrayed in the MGM movie Ben-Hur, for sure. It wasn't like that at all. Matter of fact, Rodney Stark writes, the streets were so narrow that if people leaned out the window, they could chat with someone living across the street without having to raise their voices. Yeah. Number two, Antioch is filthy. When human density is high, sanitation becomes a huge problem. So the water that's coming in from the aqueducts are poorly kept, leaving the water scarce and contaminated. And keep in mind, there is no soap at this moment in time. As for the sewers, well, for the most part, uh, they were open ditches where people would dump their chamber pots into, right? Now, a chamber pot is like you having no running water and you have a porta potty in your house and the stuff goes into the porta potty where does it go you just take it outside and dump it into an open ditch with 195 people per acre in a one mile by two mile city one historian writes there were other poor devils who found their stairs too steep And the road to these dung pits too long, and to save themselves further trouble, would empty the contents of their chamber pots from their heights into the streets. So much worse for the passerby who happened to intercept the unwelcome gift. How would you like to live in Antioch? In a nutshell, the residents of Antioch lived in filth beyond our imagination. Number three, Antioch is disease-infested. The, com- the, co- the contamination obviously led to a ton of illnesses. Stark writes, the constant companion of filth, insects, and crowding is 
disease. Illness and physical affliction were a dominant feature of the daily lives of the residents of Antioch and other Greco-Roman cities. One historian says it is a pest hole of infectious diseases. The life expectancy in Antioch in the first century, under the age of 30. You've heard that right, life expectancy under the age of 30. Number four, if you're taking notes, Antioch is crime-ridden. And this uh, is not helped along by the intense cultural diversity. There is an estimate of 18 different ethnic quarters within this little space. One historian writes, Night fell over the city like the shadow of a great danger, diffused, sinister, and menacing. Everyone fled to his home, shut himself in, and barricaded the entrance. The shops fell silent. Safety chains were drawn behind the leaves of the doors. We need only to turn to the leaves of the digest to discover the extent to which these criminals abounded in the city. Number five, and of most interest to me, is Antioch was ravaged by natural and social disasters. True story, I am telling you, Antioch was burned nearly entirely or largely to the ground on four different occasions. Antioch suffered through eight earthquakes that severely or nearly wiped out everything as well as killed a ton of people. Listen to this. Antioch had at least three killer epidemics that struck the city, killing above 25% of the population. Now let's compare that to the epidemic pandemic we just experienced. In Antioch, uh, they experienced 25%. In Kansas City, we have 2,192,000 people and 35 people. And the number of deaths recorded in Kansas City, this urban city, is 5,689 people or 0.002%. In, in Antioch, they experienced greater than 25%, not on one, but on three different occasions throughout history, including the first century, and that is over 45,000 people of their town were wiped out by these epidemics. Antioch experienced at least five serious famines, and when you put that all together, they experienced 41 natural and social catastrophes, or an average of one every 15 years. Anybody want to move to Antioch? Stark writes, any accurate portrait of Antioch in the New Testament times must depict a city filled with misery, danger, fear, despair, and hatred. A city where the average family lived a squalid life in filthy and cramped quarters, where at least half of the children died at birth or during infancy, and where most of the children who lived lost at least one parent before reaching maturity. A city filled with hatred and fear, rooted in intense ethnic antagonism and exacerbated by a constant stream of strangers. A city so lacking in stable networks of attachment that petty incidents would prompt mob violence. A city where crime flourished and the streets were dangerous at night. And perhaps above all, a city repeatedly smashed by cataclysmic catastrophes where a resident could expect literally to be homeless from time to time providing that he or she was among the survivors. If I had an opportunity to summarize Antioch, I would simply say Antioch is a town filled 
with traumatized citizens. Wouldn't you agree? Now, enter the church. The people of Antioch are no doubt longing for relief, for hope, and for salvation. And it is in this backdrop that the unshakable faith of these first believers enters into the town, the city of Antioch in the region of Syria. And it is in this trauma-filled environment that the church introduces herself to them. In chapter 9, we find Peter and the other disciples making their way uh, to Antioch, and in the way, on the way, they enter into the town of Lydda, where they heal a man named Aeneas, who has been bedridden for eight years. And as a result, we are told in Acts chapter 9 and verse 35 that the entire town of Lydda and the neighboring town of Sharon turn to the Lord. What the believers were doing is entering into these new cities and meeting people at their point of pain. And then they continue to move north to the city of Joppa, where Peter enters into the city and raises a lady from the dead named Dorcas. And we're told in Acts chapter 9 and verse 42, as a result, many people believed in the Lord. What the church was doing is entering into these cities that were troubled and they simply met people at their point of pain and they were responding. Next, we find God is directing Peter and the disciples to the home of a man named Cornelius who is a Gentile in the city of Caesarea, which is in the region of Syria, and he shared the message of Jesus with Cornelius and everyone in his household. This is significant because this is the first time that this Jewish found Faith in Jesus is now sharing it intentionally by the design of God with a Gentile, meaning anybody who is not Jewish. And something amazing happens. Everyone who gathered in Cornelius' house that day trusted Christ and were baptized. And Peter, this Jewish man, said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. We learn here that this unshakable faith is for everyone. That this unshakable faith through believers in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will meet you at your point of pain, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your skin color. But next we find in chapter 11, this church is moving into the urban city of Antioch, the one we just described to you. And chapter 11, verse 19, tells us what happens next. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. These traumatized and depressed people in the urban center of Antioch, these Gentiles are finding relief, they're finding hope, 
and they're finding salvation in Jesus. It is so significant that Paul and Barnabas decide to set up their headquarters within the walled city of Antioch so they could stay there for another year and disciple these new believers in being followers of Jesus. If I were Paul, I would have looked a little further in the region of Syria to find a place commensurate with the montage at Laguna Beach. But he chooses this awful place to set up his headquarters for a year to disciple these new believers in Jesus. And it is here of all places that the followers of Jesus are first called Christians. We don't hear the term Christian until we get to the city of Antioch, meaning followers of Jesus or those belonging to Jesus. And what we see is that there is a radical shift taking place in the city of Antioch. And we see this is commensurate with what the church was experienced, that whenever the church enters into a city, it changes everything about the city. It is not about a group of Christians gathering in a holy huddle around a campfire singing kumbaya. It is about them affecting every aspect of this broken city. And at the end of chapter 11, of all things, a prophet comes into town from Jerusalem and he predicts a coming famine that will take place all over the Roman Empire. Now, this will not be the first rodeo of the residents of, of Antioch uh, with famine and national, natural disasters. Remember, this will, um, this will be five such famines that they will experience or a total of 41 natural and social catastrophes. But this time, this time, something is different now that they have found Jesus and now they have been discipled. Here at Westside, we would say they have been discipled in the essentials. They've gone through all eight classes and got their stickers. Yeah. And this is what we are told in chapter 11, beginning in verse 29. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. These traumatized people who have now found new hope and healing are now digging deep out of their pain and their poverty to help others south in Judea, which includes the city of Jerusalem, where this revolution of unshakable faith found its birth. They are paying it forward, which is a dominant principle that drives the Christian life. They have been discipled that you pay it forward to people who are hurting. This is my summary. These people without hope have now joined this movement of unshakable faith and have set up headquarters to continue the spread of the message of hope and life to the ends of the earth through their generosity. And what do I say about that? Only God. Only God in such a short period of time can take brokenness and turn it into beauty. And we come to the end of chapter 12 and receive, we, we receive the third progress report, verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread 
and flourish. This is an unshakable reach. And this unshakable faith has reached across many bodies of water over the years, and it has reached me, and it has reached you. And it has met us at our point of pain in the 21st century. You see, the church was founded by Jesus on the basis that it would always reach out beyond itself or an unshakable reach to provide relief, to provide hope, and to provide salvation. And so now we, here in the 21st century, 2023, are being invited to reach beyond ourselves to continue the mission of Jesus. And we do not have to look very far to find our modern-day Antioch. KCK is a modern-day Antioch. It is filled with tons of traumatized people, but enter the church. Enter Westside Family Church, where we provide relief, hope, and salvation. I wrote down just a number of the different things that is the plight of KCK. Poverty, human trafficking, crime, homelessness, Teenage homelessness is a big problem. The plight of the refugee, children in the foster care system, fatherlessness, physical, mental, and emotional issues. But Westside has chosen for many, many years to live beyond ourselves and to enter into these spaces, which is one of the reasons I was drawn here almost five years ago. I was texting with Dave Ramsey this morning, and Dave is in Texas where he informed me of the golf course that he's going to be golfing this afternoon. <laughs> I used to live there, you know. I will not be golfing with Dave Ramsey this afternoon because I'm here in Kansas where it's freezing. <laughs> you know, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because of the heart of Westside Family Church reaching beyond yourself to a place where people need help and healing. A large percentage of our resources go outbound to folks who will never be able to return it to us, and that's okay because Jesus has already given us everything. Can I get an amen? Amen. So here's a list of initiatives that we are involved in locally in our modern-day Antioch. And as I go through these, I want you to know that if out of your generosity you give money to this church and lay it, as it says in the book of Acts, before the elders of this church who distribute it, every place that I'm going to mention here where we are working effectively, if you've given any money, we disperse that money to these places. So what does that mean? It means that you are kingdom investors in all that I'm going to share with you. And you need to tell your children and your grandchildren of the priority you have out of the love of Christ for you, paying it forward to the people of our modern-day Antioch. You are kingdom investors in this. Let me start. There is um, the House of Hope KC, which is a residential program for troubled teens and families. Let's vote as a committee. All in favor of getting behind that? Raise your hand. Yeah. How about Avenue of Life? Leading a collective impact approach to end homelessness. Brothers in Blue. Reentry program. Equipping the incarcerated with 
the spiritual foundation to thrive outside the prison walls. Yeah, we're very involved. We're on the ground floor of starting that as well as Avenue of Life. Mission uh, Adelante, welcoming and equipping refugees and immigrants. Everybody complains about it. Yeah, I get it. We got to talk about it. But the Church of Westside does something about it with the fact that they're here. Can I get an amen? Advice and aid pregnancy center, supporting women and families experiencing a crisis pregnancy. Do you know that with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that abortions in America went down 6%? That's pretty cool, right? But unfortunately, abortions went up 36% in the state of Kansas. We are tied with the highest increase of abortions only with North Carolina. Joy Meadows, surrounding foster families with comprehensive services. That's a good thing. How about Freedom Farm, an uh, equine ministry serving foster children and families? Then we've got our school partnerships, helping children succeed through mentors and prayer. To date, we have seven partnerships with seven elementary schools surrounding us, and we're going after every single one of them, if I can get an amen. Amen. How about the Hillcrest Transitional Housing, providing transitional housing for families and youth in crisis. And then Christine's place. We had Christine here not too long ago sharing her story of someone who came out of human trafficking. It is a Christ-centered drop-in center for women in human trafficking. And then we have Re-Hope, which is a residential center for victims of human trafficking. Yeah, we should be involved in that. Uh, we uh, were able to see a couple years ago four young ladies uh, through these works come out of human trafficking. And that is a great celebration. You think only four. Yeah, but we got four. But here's the deal. We don't just leave them at the end of getting them out. The, we stay with them through these organizations through the long haul because these traumatized women need a lot of help to get back to even normal. And so we're involved in that. And then finally, what if the church, it's a network, it's a nonprofit uh, that is based right out of Westside Family Church, a network of over 300 churches in the Kansas City region collaborating to advance Jesus and his kingdom. That's pretty exciting stuff, right? Yeah, you're investing in all of that. Uh, for example, Avenue of Life, uh, which we were on the ground floor of starting, has seen a reduction of student and family homelessness in Wyandotte County by 75%. That is incredible, 75%. But that's not it. And we are seeing a 95% success rate after five years of families rem and remaining stable and a 100% graduation rate for our students in the program. We are making a difference. We are not just a church that sits around and quabbles about the pain on the wall, the color. We're not a church that sits around in a holy huddle singing kumbaya around the campfire. We're a church that has known for paying it forward for people who need relief, for hope and salvation. This is our call and I'm super proud of you. And in this unshakable season that we are entering into where the gun sounds off in 23 and 24 God is calling us because he can trust us to take it to another level 
And this unshakable initiative is mostly about discipleship. It's mostly about coming alongside of every single one of you, not leaving anyone out, students included, and inviting you to take a next step. Inviting you to take a next step in your faith and in your generosity. And it has been so expiring inspiring seeing you do that at all levels. For some of you, this will be your first uh, entrance into this wonderful life where Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And for some of you, you are thinking way outside of the box. I want to share just one of those stories with you. Take a look at the screen. When we started dating, um, I guess we kind of went church shopping. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when we got here, gosh, what was this, about 12 years ago? Yeah, yeah. When we got here, um, I had mentioned to Andrea that uh, it's the first time I've been to church where I felt like I have been taught how to be a Christian versus told how to be a Christian. And that was a, a big distinguishing factor for me. And so we, uh, uh, we started coming here regularly we, Andrea works as a nurse practitioner as a, at a, in a clinic in Kansas City, Kansas, and um, it, is, it is primarily focused on Hispanic um, um, uh, population, Spanish-speaking uh, people that really don't really have a lot of options when it comes to their health care. Mm -hmm. So she's filling a gap that, you know, regardless of how you feel about immigration or anything like that, they're humans in need of care. And um, Andrea helps fill that gap uh, through the clinic that she has there. We're both in the healthcare field and both struggle with the idea of profiting off of, you know, someone's illness, you know, like, and, and stuff like that. Um, at the same time, as a business, you got to keep the lights on, you got to keep, you know, the workers happy and stuff like that. So we wanted, we wanted to take an opportunity to do that right. And we're looking at, at purchasing that clinic so that we can do it right. This has been a long time in the making. I don't think either of us would have seen us, us individually or as a, a couple, as a family, taking this step or even considering taking this step. But it is absolutely a God thing. I think we've talked about it so much how we just, it's just step by step, he has just been leading us to this place. You're trying to partner with other partners um, you know, just to help m meet unmet needs there in that community because they, mm -hmm. they need it. A again, someone that, you know, just gets put in your, your path and where there was fear and trepidation, someone comes in and is like, oh, I can help you with that. And that's what Matt was. Like, oh, you're thinking about being a nonprofit? Let me tell you about Avenue Life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're thinking about helping meet um, unmet needs? Let me tell you about Avenue of Life. And there was so much similarity in what he was doing and we were like a missing piece for him because there is this you know they've got they've got housing they've got utilities they've got education they've got tutoring they've got english as a as a second language they don't have a real steady health care uh yeah mm -hmm. um per partner yeah and we're like we're game like we you know we 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 need to be a non nonprofit. And right now the the clinic's not but when we when we take ownership of it, it's like step number one for us. How do we flip this over to, to being a, a, a not-for-profit and 
what does that mean? How do we do? How do we do all that? Uh, and it was just a, a really good, engaging uh, conversation with Matt. I actually met um, or went to an event, a ladies' luncheon at um, uh, also uh, Vida Abundante, which is a church that we've kind of also collaborated with, Westside has collaborated with. And I think that was another aha moment for me. And I, I was there and I was listening to testimony of these incredible women. Um, and a lot of them had to do with medical needs that they just didn't have a place to go to. Um, they had no way of filling that need at the time. And so I think at, at that moment, I, you know, that was another piece, you know, that, that God laid on my heart. And, and I was like, well, there's, there's another piece of it. So we're just collecting these pieces and hopefully we'll be able to put them together. <laughs> little by little. I feel like in the midst of all that anxiousness and, and, and you know, trepidation, there, com there comes waves of peace, complete yeah. peace, and yeah. where I know, I'm like, and I'm maybe a little more cautious. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so for me to be like, let's do this, you know? Um, yeah, we're locked up that's, in sync there. That's yeah. divine. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's divine. And even though there might only be five or six or seven employees, are, we also want to extend that, extend that generosity to them, right? Like mm -hmm. if we make money, we're not going to pocket all of that. Like when the clinic makes more money, these staff members will make more money. And, and you know, maybe they, no one here gets rich, but they're working and they're living and they're happy and they come to work every day and they can be there for 10 or 15 years or whatever and, you know, be happy to be there. And it's a greater purpose too. Yeah. Like, so there's purpose in supporting those families. Like, it is, it's 100% what we want to do. If, there, if there's more to give to the community and, and support things, yeah. uh, man, I would love that. That's a West Side story. That is a pretty good story. It's an example of, of uh, West Siders, Carlton and Andrea, uh, who just letting God speak to them, and they are going to this level of purchasing a clinic in, in a KCK, our modern-day Antioch, and converting it into a nonprofit, and then we're going to wrap Avenue of Life and Mission Adelante around it to see uh, the people of our modern-day Antioch experience relief and hope and salvation in the name of Jesus. And for some of you uh, that, you know, that for you, that step is just a baby step in the direction. And the success of Unshakable is not just what we'll be able to collectively accomplish, but every single person takes a step further into this unshakable faith and lifestyle and reach. Rodney Stark, the sociologist who did all the study in the first century of the rise of Christianity, also before he passed away, did a study of the role of faith, Christian faith in America. You know, a lot of people underestimate the collective impact of Christians in America, right? <laughs> but he said, if Christians in America were to leave America tomorrow, like all gone, the government would have to raise taxes for the remaining citizens to the tune of $2.6 trillion to account for our absence. Because when Christians enter into a town, 
enter into an urban city, enter into an Antioch, we make a difference through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's what we're going to do. It's been given to us, and now we're going to reach with unshakable faith to those who have yet to hear it. Yeah. On November the 4th, a Friday night, we had over 500 people in this room who stepped out with an advanced commitment. And 142 households and 10 students made their advanced commitment saying, we're ready to go right now. And they brought them down to the front and Roseanne and I stood on the stage and just looked into the faces of these people who were not doing it with any coercion, but they were doing it out of a joyful heart. Some tears were strolling down their face and I felt like I was in the first century with Peter entering to the city of Antioch where the church entered. You're gonna have an opportunity to do that on November the 20th, okay? Not, uh, yeah, next weekend? Yeah, next weekend. So I'm gonna invite you to bring that same spirit and attitude uh, to it uh, and uh, you'll be filling out these cards that we've been inviting you to be praying over and uh, those of you who are in the advanced commitment, you're going to resubmit your card so we can double your gift. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen unless you want us to. Then you can tell us that. And it's going to be a great uh, opportunity to worship the Lord. Uh, and then two weeks from that point, uh, we will do a reveal as to what we collectively were able to do. Uh, Daryl Strawberry will be with us on that Sunday to speak to us about his testimony of finding a help and relief and salvation and the point of his pain and we might use him to help us with the reveal. Maybe a baseball bat or something. I don't know. Amen? Let's be standing to our feet. Heavenly Father, we now enter into a time of worship. We worship you because it is you that has provided us with this depth of purpose and meaning in our life, this sense of hope. So we offer it all up to you with all of our heart in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said...